Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, you're very welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast. Every week, we'll bring you a slice of current affairs that we hope you may find engaging and informative. This will include some of the big stories of the week, but we also hope to delve into some of the off-agenda stories that we have featured in the Irish Examiner. This week, uh, and for the next couple of weeks, I think it would be fair to say we will not be going off-agenda because there is one big story, and that is the general election campaign. And joining me to see how things stand with the runners and the riders is uh, Danny McConnell, the political editor of the Irish Examiner. How are you today, Danny? Very well, Mick. How are you? I'm not too bad. <laughs> Danny, officially day 10 of the campaign. Big day today, Friday. Launch of manifesto of two of the big parties. Two mm. of the, I think maybe we could say, two of the three big parties, if one includes Sinn Féin. Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are launching their manifestos. Bit of flesh in the bones. Yeah, so what we have now, I suppose, is their final, their, is their their all-encompassing pitch to the public. And, um, you know, it's fair to say that auction politics are alive and well, while certainly couched in the language of prudence and and uh, fiscal responsibility. But, you know, you've got you know thousands of extra nurses, extra doctors, more money for parents with young children, you know, uh, extra childcare, more medical, you know, ex- extending medical cards for the over 70s, etc. So there's an endless list of giveaways. Um, but again, they're both of the main parties are sticking to this fiscal envelope or this, you know, that they've identified that there's 11 billion of extra spending uh, between now potentially, and... Potentially, because potentially. anything can happen. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, based on everything kind of going according yeah. to plan between now and 2025, the Labour Party think the envelope could be as high as 16 billion and would certainly want to spend 16 billion on a very ambitious housing building project. But again, with it, you know, if they do manage to get into government and see, given their size, it'll be interesting to see how far they can push that particular uh, item um, but what it is, I suppose, what you're you're getting into now is that we're into the the, the sort of stage of the campaign now, where you know the, the the parties have to kind of show their hands and kind of put their pitch, their their full pitch to the people, and it's now and for, have it costed and have it cost. Now they all will say that they have you know gone into the boffins in the Department of Finance and it's all costed. And, but again, you know, I suppose the big caveat over any manifesto is that no gov- no party, single party, will have a majority. So every one of these manifestos is subject to negotiations in a programme for government. So, you know, no one's plan in its entirety will get will, will, will be uh, kind of rolled that's, out. That's one thing. And the other thing, Danny, that strikes me is it's all very well for those of us who are full-time employed to observe these things. But for your average voter who's mm. in busy life, they see a number of these promises for so many houses, so many nurses, so many hospital beds, etc. Is there any evidence to the extent as to how much they delve down to see whether or not this is realistic and whether or not it is properly costed or if it's just another promise thrown out to seductively drag you towards them in the polling booth. Well, I thought it was very interesting in the last couple of days where the, the f- promise from Fianna Fáil for this sort of SSIA scheme you know, for, for renters... Yeah, that was, would, a, that was a, if you save three euros, you get you, one, you get one yeah. up to a, up to a, a ceiling of 10,000. 10, right. 
that was having an immediate impact. People were saying, "Well, I'm actually, if there's free money going to be coming down the tracks, we're going to wait, maybe wait and see." So that 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 sort of thing, which was impacting on the current yeah. market. So uh, it had echoes of Michael McDougall's intervention on stamp duty way back in two thousand six or two thousand and seven. That had an immediate impact on the market then because um, that was again. Sorry, he, he said he was going if he was with the Progressive Democrats, his leader. If they got in, they were going to abolish stamp duty for, uh, for first time buyers. For first time yeah. buyers, yeah. And so and that immediately put pressure on um, put pressure on Fianna Fáil at the time um, because Brian Cowan was the then finance minister he was loath to do anything to give because he obviously realised that you're pouring f- fuel on an already raging fire but Bertie Ahern had different ideas and there was a well there was a well structured campaign by the, then, by the then editor of the Sunday Independent Angus Fanning you know, there was a stamp duty story I think on the front page for about three or four months and ultimately Fianna Fáil caved and they, they, they relented and, and gave the break the tax break to and, the first time I, I think while we're on the, the, the bit of history which was also something that was quite amazing about that campaign is it emerged later that there was a sort of an agreement between the Sunday Independent mm. and Fianna Fáil you give us exclusives we give you nice coverage and, quite amazing and, and I was I had just started with the Sunday Independent at the time so it was kind of a fascinating kind of exercise of social history you know in, uh, yeah. in right in front of you um, because the Sunday Independent had been very anti-Bertie Ahern for, yeah. for a long period of time particularly around the issues around the tribunal had done some brilliant work on the tribunal um, but then you know there was a kind of an agreement there and I remember vividly Angus and Anne Harris you know defending it saying we got great exclusives out of it um, uh, but questionable like, in media terms but anyway that's, that's but listen that, that was and, a, and, and well, another country said, that was above my pay grade at the time yeah, exactly <laughs> like, and, uh, <laughs> another country but sorry uh, the, the point you're making is that there was echoes in terms of this um, what we're calling the SSI the special saving incentive account mm. which was of course again for those who may not have been around we're going back to 02 and this is the thing that Charlie McCready as Minister of Finance brought in now on one level you know he, want, he claims he wants to take some heat out of the economy for yeah. before you saved uh, you were given one. Of course, it was skewed completely to those who could afford to save. And it was also set up such that the money began coming on before the next general yeah, election it was, cycle. It was about a year before the general yeah, election hit. Yeah. Like, so it was, it was, he kind of won over the economist because like that he took, he was taking heat out of a raging economy. But yet the timing of which was clearly suspect and it was kind of done for political reasons. But um, but there's, there's comparisons being made with that and, and, and this proposal. Well, it, just in terms of like what you're seeing are people who are lo- either rent, you know, people who are looking uh, at their options in terms of their ho- their homes are saying, well, let's hold fire now and see who actually gets in because why would I spend now if they're going to have free money down the line? And ultimately, that sort of impact, you know, immediate impact, you know, few enough policies would have that sort of immediate impact on spending power or spending behaviour patterns. But that was one that was clearly, anecdotally anyway, over the last few days, was certainly beginning to weigh in. Yeah, and then if, if for example, Fianna Fáil do get into power, they certainly can't back out of that. And mm. as you said, economists and anybody who's any kind of knowledge of the housing market, as we describe it as a market, even though I don't think it should be a market, but anyway, anybody who's any knowledge of it says that this will just merely end up increasing the price of mm. houses and have, have no other effect rather than that. And it's going to do nothing in the long term for first time buyers. Absolutely, it it kind of sounds great for you know those who they're trying to uh, solve or the pro you know, the people that they're trying to address. But at the other end of the market, if you're if you're you know a retiree and you're down, you want to downsize and you see a young couple coming in and you know they're going to be a beneficiary of this extra ten thousand euro. You're going well. There's ten thousand extra into your back pocket. You would you would have thought. Um, so there is. A co- do you think that potential first time buyers would be seduced by that? I oh I I think people given the sort of strain that they're under any sort of sop or any sort of help 
would be gratefully they don't want they don't worry about the wider context you worry yeah. about your own oh, situation of course um, and, and they don't presumably again if the economists are right they don't presumably take on board that in reality this isn't going to make a difference to the ultimately what I pay because the, the price will get yeah. higher but I suppose they think about the immediacy like all of us I presume yeah. yeah I mean I've seen a lot of my pals who are working professionals decent on decent salaries having to fail at the affordable housing scheme because they've no other way of getting you know that the, you know, the scheme that they um um, yeah, uh, it's in conjunction yeah, with local authorities. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Because there's no other way of getting on the property ladder, and and you're going kind of, this, this. This is not what this system should be. You know, they're not the sort of people this you know scheme should be aimed aimed at. Um, you know, they should be able to afford their own homes. But at a moment, given the distress in the market, and given how un, given the I suppose the chronic undersupply problem that we have, it's really affecting middle to high income earners and that, that should not that's a perverse situation that we find ourselves in so so you get a, a situation like this or you get an offer like this it has the potential to at least turn your head I would thought if you're in that position yeah I would have thought so just while we're on housing again I'm interested in your opinion on this just what strikes me looking at the type of proposals and that the, a, a scene seems to be emerging whereby the difference between the various parties promises is the number of houses they are pledging to get built, not that governments get them built, mm. but to create the conditions and they claim that they'll have the skills to get built over the next five years. That on one hand, and on the other, there are suggestions, and I don't think it's still totally clear, that Fine Gael are ideologically opposed to the state building, what we call social housing, effectively public housing, um, and leave it up to the market. Is it fair to say that those are the main features of, of differences between parties in the... Um, in the housing sector, yeah, I mean, what you have is essentially are the, like there's a like there's a universal agreement that the supply needs to go up. Every economist you talk to, every politician you talk to, anyone involved in the housing uh, sector will say we are undersupplied. Um, some people will say we need fifty thousand houses a year. Others will say it's more moderate. You need about thirty five. We're at the moment. I think this year, I think it's about twenty thousand will be built. So yeah, twenty four thousand. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. so we're well under what we need to. Yeah. But there's also a backlog of there were about six or seven years where literally no houses were being built at all. So um, and you know people still needed to buy homes. So there is that sort of there is that pent up demand that that is there that needs to be addressed in the next couple of years or so. Um, and what you have are you know on, as I said you have the Labour Party on one hand you know they, they want to build eighty thousand social homes um, you know at a cost of sixteen odd billion over five years and that's a very ambitious program. Fine Gael obviously are on the other end of the spectrum where they seem to be have a much more of a mixed state. They are obviously committing to a certain element of social and affordable housing, but they recognise that there's a role for the market and the private sector in that. They do stand, in my view, rightly accused of being overly reliant on the private sector to get the housing issue solved. It's six years now since Alan Kelly as housing minister described this as a crisis and and as an and an emergency and yet we still don't have local authorities around this country building adequate numbers of social houses and like we keep getting told the money is there but yet you know and then it kind of it took two years for us to kind of get to the point where Can I just ask you Dan, when we say local authorities <laughs> building housing are yeah. we talking about local authorities providing the direct labour are we talking about local authorities being given the money for them to oversee contracts by private builders to build these homes because a huge issue I would strike me no matter who's doing it is that the skills shortage and getting people to do it. So, I mean, the idea of going back to direct labour from the local authorities, that's grand, but you're not just talking about direct labour, you're talking about building professionals at every level. You're talking about a whole transformation in one yeah. sense of local authorities. Mm. 
Whereas if local authorities are just overseeing it, even that would require, and as you said, they've had six years to do it, to put in place enough building professionals to oversee that kind of a, a system. I remember talking to a number of um, the county council managers in that sort of period between 2014 and 2018, and they just said, we're not equipped. We don't, like, that yeah. skill set has just gone. That whole function of local authorities essentially was shut down under Fianna Fáil 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah. They just stopped doing it. So because they saw, well, we have all these builders, private builders, it's just easier to just outsource it to them, as they did with their their bin service, as they've done with every other, you know a lot of other services. It's easier to outsource it. That obviously came back to bite them in the backside when the when the economy crashed. There was no one in a position to build anything. Um, so that skill set, that expertise, is all gone. Um, and you've had this real battle and real struggle to kind of get reequip um, to get back up to speed. So what you're seeing is a huge spend by local authorities on essentially buying private homes. Like they're competing with, you know, your average couple and they're buying, they're either buying full estates or they're buying parts of estates. Um, it's an expensive That's a very expensive way of doing business, look. And I, I just, you know, it's a short-term solution to, adre- to address an immediate problem. But what you what you need really, you know, any, any modern developed society should should have a, a, a kind of a, 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 you know, an up-to-date or a kind of a, a social housing program. That's go, that goes either during the middle of a crash or when when things are going well. That's constant ticking over of... Because obviously, if you were renting a social house, or, you know, the old council house, the idea someday is that you would want to buy that house should be, should be open to you, in my view, but those, that stock would have to be replaced. And when a lot of people started buying their old council houses... That, that stock was never replaced with yeah. new homes. And that's, so this is not just a one-year problem or a two-year problem. The sort of seeds for this crisis were sown 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, I mean, the, there's two things. I mean, I recall the, the so-called Part 5, which is Part 5 of the Planning Act 2000, mm. whereby the Fianna Fáil PD government brought in this provision that oh, developments over a certain level, 20% of the homes had to be social housing. Mm. Now, that was very quickly adapted following lobbying from builders to ensure that the builders could give money rather than build the social yeah. houses. So very little social housing was built for the guts right throughout the years of the Celtic Tiger. Which when there was up to 100,000 yeah. homes a year yeah. being built in, yeah. on one year, very little of that. But it critically housing. undermined the idea of mixed social development that you have, you know, a, a kind of a, a mix of, of people, which is fundamental to the, the development of any community. You know, any, any of these experts uh, that anything I've ever read about the development of new communities is that you have a mix of you know, you have a mix of, of you know, private homeowners, so you know, kind of yeah. people on the housing list, that they all integrate together. Because otherwise you, you end up ghettoising people. Well, there's I think there's two schools of thought in that. The other one is that particularly at a crisis when we need so much social housing, that it's it is possible, some would say, to have large scale social housing or public housing developments once you put in the proper facilities. Yeah. And that was one of the big mistakes. And they the never seen that, that that sort of joining of the dots in this country yeah. has never seemed to happen. Yeah. One way or the other, they're all saying about how many houses they will build mm. and all of them, to varying degrees, are saying in terms of how much public housing or social housing and whether or not the state will be involved itself in building it. But at the end of the day, I don't know, I think it's a very big problem. I don't know how, how much success there's going to be unless they, 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 they come to a conclusion that there has to be some form of emergency around. Well, I, I think what could happen, and particularly because I think that no one party will have anywhere near a majority, that you're going to see a, a kind of a continuation of this new politics. And what you saw in the last term was a sort of a cross-party agreement on, on health, slauncher care. I think you might see a development of a cross-party agreement in relation to housing. 
they'll have to, you know what I mean? Well, that would be know, a bad thing. You know, and I particularly, I, and if the polls are to be believed and Fianna Fáil end up being in the driving seat and they're far more coalition friendly, I think, to other parties, I think it's one of those things that very easily could happen in terms of that you appoint a, a member of the opposition to chair a committee, they come up with a report, it gets adopted as government policy and then that's your, that's the that's the plan that you work for for the next 10 years. That seems to be the logical way to go on this. But, um, I mean, obviously the the, 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 the real politic of the numbers will determine yeah. everything. Yeah, we'll just come to that in a minute. First of all, uh, debate, we had the first debate mm. the other night of two fascinating, of the leaders. It? It was fascinating. It was stuff. unbelievable. I was out in Virgin Media's and now I was out there myself and it was riveting. Um, Oh, yeah. I mean, well, I, I suppose you could say there have been worse, but at yeah. the same time, I mean... It was, was very, very cagey. I thought was it was cagey. very, very cagey, yeah. and I thought both men were very cautious as not to kind of drop the ball or... or but the one thing that did fascinate me uh, on the debate, and it wasn't necessarily the drugs issue, that Leo Varagher got himself in a kind of a bit of a bind over, but it was that he was so early in the debate, he threw down the gauntlet to Micheál Martin on the issue of a grand coalition. Was that in response to opinion polls, the fact that they're lagging, they realise they have to change strategy? Well, I think it's in response to the fact that both parties have ruled out Sinn Féin. That, you know, I mean, because you're really struggling for alternative options then as to how you get to that magical number of 80. Um, if you don't if you don't at least consider it. Now, he's not breaking new ground there. Enda Kenny, midway through the campaign, or through the sort of government formation talks in 2016, offered Hall Martin the Grand Coalition. He offered him a rotating Taoiseach. He offered him the 50-50 split, at, you know, in terms of cabinet seats, etc. So this is not necessarily new ground. But the way, the manner in which he did it, he threw it down so openly. He, like, it, it's not, Pat Kenny didn't have to drag it out of him. He kind of seemed to volunteer it. And that's, so it therefore struck me as a deliberate pitch and I thought it was quite interesting because we obviously had Micheál Martin out yesterday uh, ruling it out again. If that argument keeps happening, Micheál Martin will then begin to start looking unreasonable. If he keeps saying no, it's like almost like the DUP up the north. If you keep saying yeah. no um, to an offer, you, you begin to look unreasonable. I can understand why Micheál Martin ruled it out. We're still very early on in this campaign. If he was beginning to already say... And the word change yeah. is there. If, if he used to, I mean, change... Buzzword: How much people want change, and how well, much he's change they I think want the, is. the Irish Times poll where seventy-five percent of people said they want to change a government. Yeah, so basically that means and no that's, Fine Gael if, yeah. if it's if, if they mean it. Yeah. Is the other thing. I, I mean, that's question. the thing. So if that question gets asked again by any of the opinion polls, say in the run-up to polling day in the last week, and that number changes up or down in any way, that will determine who wins and who loses the election. Because if if there's still a mood for change in the last week, Fianna Fáil will be in charge of the next government. If that number drops. Fine Gael are in with a shout to, to, to stay on in power. So yeah, that, that's the key determination. There's, there's another opinion poll on Sunday, yeah. there, which I think is, I think it's fair to say it's the one that people pay the most attention to because it's a tracking poll yeah. that's done, has been done consistently. They're out every month. They're out yeah, every, every month. month. And they also have this kind of, they, they weight it in terms of there's a likelihood yeah. to vote. So therefore, there, there, there is a, it's a bit more, the politicians seem to place, place the greatest stock in the Red Sea poll Right, rightly or wrongly, but that's the one that they seem to watch the most. Another, another thing I think there was noticeable in the debate, um, Leo Varadkar was very, very humble. He was yeah. contrite. Yeah. He, he was sorry, we haven't done more. Mm. Uh, people have suggested that it was sort of a departure. Again, one wonders, is this a strategy in response to lagging in the opinion polls? Mm. I don't know. It struck me that Micheál Martin approached the debate in exactly the same way in which he approaches leaders' questions. It was slightly cantankerous, slightly cranky, uh, a bit precious at times in terms of, you know, he kind of took offence at his, his, you know, his own record and health being called into question. Um, he seemed to raise this issue around, you know, Fine Gael, people attacking him personally over the last, you know, it seemed just a bit precious and a bit prickly. Whereas Leo took a very different 
uh, approach to what he normally is like in the doll. He's quite combative in the doll. He's normally quite, you know, he's well used to trying to throw in the, the kind of nasty, you know, slags at, at either Sinn Féin or, or Fianna Fáil. But what we got was, and this message has been consistent from Fianna Gael from the start, it's essentially, it's a reworking of a lot done more to do. You know, um, we know we haven't succeeded on, on many fronts, but we've made a start. So allow us to continue that journey. Um, but he, I thought he struck a decent tone. I thought he managed to get the language right and the tone right. Whether that can be sustained through Monday's seven-way debate or the next head-to-head with me, Hull Martin and RT in the last in the run-up to the to polling day remains to be seen. I think the debate will be slightly different next time around because we now have the manifestos. We now actually have the flesh on the bone in terms of policies so they can actually attack each other. One of the criticisms of Micheál Martin and Fianna Fáil for the first half of the campaign has been they've been very slow to kind of release their, you know, their, their, their policy documents and you know, we were attending launch after launch That's where, right. the, where there, was, there was nothing, nothing in there, there was given at least, out. You know? At least two last week whereby they had the press conference and they only released the document after when it was too late to ask any, any questions, questions yeah. about it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think what we now have and what we certainly have after today is the full detail, the flesh of the manifestos, as they would ins- insist they're properly costed. But I was listening to Pascal Donoghue on radio this morning and, you know, again, he's committing to that $11 billion worth of extra spending. You know, they, they seem to have listened and learned the lessons of... Um, 2016, they are clearly prioritising improving services over tax cuts. They, there will be an, a tax cut element to it, but the tax cuts were far more pronounced in the 2016 argument. You know, what, what was clear was that people said, no, fix the health service rather than giving us a tax cut. Yes, our tax is high, but fix the health service or fix the housing thing first. Yeah, and do you know what struck me? Because I, I saw it in Fianna Fáil's manifesto in broad terms, I think it's going to have something like four to one in terms of going towards spending on mm. services versus tax cuts. You go back to the depths of the recession, and I recall at one stage they were saying two to one in favour of tax cuts yeah. over spending. spending. So it's it's an indication of where the country's at. It's an indication of the problems mm. that we've had coming out of the recession, even though the economy's done well. Mm. There's definitely some problem yeah. there in, in various public services. One thing about the debate, Danny, um, as you said, it was riveting, and we might use those uh, air inverted commas mm. around that. Uh, for that reason, is, do they really make a difference? They do, because I think um, while anarchs like yourself and myself will tune in every day or every week to the ongoings in, in Dáil Éireann, it was the first real opportunity that a, a mass audience got to see Leo Varadkar and Micheál Martin go toe-to-toe. And it's a subliminal thing. You kind of go, I like the cut of him. I like the way he answered his, you know, that a particular question or how well they quit, quitted each other or how well they each acquitted themselves under pressure. And they do matter because ultimately, like I think we were discussing last week, this will be and is the most presidential style election because essentially it boils down to those either of those two men will end up being the next T-shirt. Sinn Féin have a problem with that. They do. Um, and their poll ratings would say they have some justification in, in that argument being crafted against you know, within those, the two men. But Mary Lou MacDonald can't be Taoiseach. So therefore, this is, you know, the, the idea that it's between Leo and Michal to be Taoiseach does focus the minds on, well, who do I like more or who do I like less? It, like, if you go back to, like, um, uh, to the 2007 election campaign, Bertie Hearn was on the back foot, you know, all the revelations around the Mahan Tribunal, you know, Fine Gael were having a pretty good campaign, you know, they were, the, their, their tails were up. But Bertie went in, there were two or three key events that turned that campaign. Brian Cowan's intervention on one yeah. particular weekend. I do think Owen Harris's intervention on the late, late made a difference. Oh, yeah. But Bertie Hearn's head-to-head against Enda Kenny in that particular campaign Swung it, in my I, view. I, I travelled with him the day after that for I was working for the Sunday Tribune at the time down to Cork, and you could feel mm. 
a change in the air. He was inside the shopping centre, in Wilton Shopping Centre, and the man was mobbed in a way to politicians. Yeah. Even 10 years later, yeah. simply none of them would be. It was, it was quite amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So they do matter. Um, you know, are they, do they make or break a campaign? Maybe not. But they certainly will either reinforce someone's, someone who's wavering they might reinforce, I kind of like the cut of him. Like, I'll give you an example. Stephen Donnelly did very well when he was with the Social Democrats in the seven-way debate in 2016. And that, sure, that made it clear that he was going to top the poll in Wicklow, and sure enough, he did. Like, he did very well out of that. He, he seemed to quit himself quite well. came across as quite reasonable. Um, so, and a lot of people were walking away from that debate and said, geez, I like the cut of Stephen Donnelly's yeah. jib. But now, he's obviously now since moved into Fianna Fáil. He had a bit of a ropey night on, on primetime on Monday. Um, so I don't know if that'll uh, replicate itself again but You mentioned the seven-way debate on Monday and there's another one I think later in the week On Thursday, uh, yeah. Th- yeah One aspect of that are we going to see uh, six versus one because Leo Varadkar is effectively the man in possession in terms of government and everybody else is going to say how they would have done things differently Do you think that's the way it's going to shape up six versus um I think, it's, I think it's inevitable that Leo Varadkar will mm. spend most like He's looking to come out of it, I'd say, with a, if he can come out with a nil-all draw or a one-all draw out of a seven-way debate. Um, because, in fairness, he's going to struggle for airtime. You have, as you say, six other leaders all criticising the government's performance on health and housing particularly. So he'll need to just marshal his thoughts and marshal his, his arguments pretty well. What will be interesting to see is whether or not anybody else comes to his rescue. Like, whether or not there's anybody else willing to say, well, actually, not everything is bad. Some was, you know, they've done some good things. And what will be interesting to see whether or not... Um, you made a sympathy for him somewhere. No, but, you know, <laughs> no, I know what you mean. But yeah. you know what I mean? If you're trying to distinguish yourself from a mob and if you can kind of strike that kind of moderate, reasonable tone yeah, in a yeah, debate, yeah, exactly. you, might, you might set yourself apart. Um, the one thing I'll say about Leo Farrakhan is that you know, he, was, he struck the humble tone very well. Whether or not that'll be enough when he's been monstered by six others or whether or not that they, they can goad him out and kind of let him, you know, drag out the real Leo, as we know, who's well used to kind of being pretty sharp with his tongue. That'll be what I'm watching for on Monday. As, as the song says, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Exactly. Yeah. It's an adaptation <laughs> of the old Muhammad Ali kind of mantra, you know, when you're as good as I am, it's hard to be humble. Like, uh, yeah, you know? Exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, at the end of the day, there's no question, because of the system we have, it, it's, we're not going to have a single party government. Mm. Whomever gets in, it's either going to be presumably another if it's not another election, it's going to be another confidence and supply arrangement mm. or some cobbled together coalition. The magic number in that regard is 80 because we're going to have 160 TDs up from 158 in yeah. the last. One, you take out the Keown Corla and then so you, your, your magic number is 80. How do you see that adding up and whom do you see to be in pole position to, to lead such a, a coalition? Okay, so... The race, I, I, as I see it now, starting from zero, is that the race is essentially on between Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil to be the lead party, the party with bigger, the, the, the greatest number of seats, because whoever has the greatest number of seats wins the first right to try and form a government. Um, now, based on the Irish Times poll, discounting the Sunday Times poll, but look, look at the Irish Times poll, my reckoning is that Fianna Fáil are coming in at 55, 56 seats. That's a long way from 80. So how do you make up that gap of 25? You look at the Greens, possibly 10 seats. You're looking at Labour, six, seven, eight seats maybe, you're still a long way. So then are you getting into the Sock Dems two or three and then you're, you're, you're like you've up to ten independents. It's a very shaky construct. So can it work? Um, they've both ruled out Fianna, both Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have ruled out Sinn Féin, which would be the obvious choice. Like, I mean, if you, if Fianna Gael or Fianna Fáil are coming back with 55 seats and the Shinners are coming back with 20 seats roughly based on their poll numbers, they're, yeah. they're, 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 they're sure enough to kind of pretty much hold what they have. You're pretty much at eighty there, like or there, thereabouts. Like, and you tag on a couple of gene pool independents, like you're you're over the line. 
But again, Michal Martin has been absolutely categoric. He's not entertaining Sinn Féin. And, and, and another thing there, Danny, is if, if, for example, you say the Greens would seem to be, well, according to opinion polls, in prime position to be mm. one of the legs of such a coalition. But if you have to bring on a number of independents, the likelihood in terms of the independents that are there is that they'll be from some form of rural Ireland, yeah. one way or the other. And are you going to have a clash there before you even get off the ground? You'd, you will. And what was very interesting, because I interviewed Nessa Harrigan of uh, the Green Party, she's the candidate in Dublin Central, and she's kind of the head of their, their chair of their policy. Um, she was on TV last yeah. time. Impressive. Yes, yeah, she is. She's very impressive. But she was making it very clear that any decision to go into government has to be approved by the party. And, you know, like that, if it's in, if, if, the, if, they, if the kind of the colleagues or the, the coalition partners' faces don't fit, she's, she raised the question, you know, they would at least have to ask themselves the question: Are they? Um, will they have greater impact in opposition than going into government? So, I think this assumption that the Greens will go in, there is a caveat over that. There is a question mark over that. The same with Labour. If Labour only come back with eight seats, I think there's a, there'll be a strong body of opinion within that party because again they have to approve it at a kind of a special party conference. Say, lads, we're not ready for this. Like you know, well, and, it, and, that, and that that that's a very important conundrum because yeah. it throws the whole construct or if the you, idea of getting if, up to eighty. But if it, you if you take the two of those out, yeah. You just can't do Bar it. Barsh and Fane, forget yeah. about it. So there, So the only other option, if it was to be contemplated, is the Grand Coalition. So that's why I thought Leo Varadkar had to throw down the offer the other night, because if you, if there's a question mark over Labour, a question mark over the Greens, and you're nowhere near the 80 mark, the only viable option, save a general, another general election, is the Grand Coalition. Because even with a minority government, Fine Gael had to get to 57 uh, in order to make the numbers work. And they barely got there in terms of, you know, the independence and et cetera like that. And obviously we saw in recent months when they lost a few people, the numbers just became unworkable. That's why Leo Varadkar called the general election now rather than going to May or April. The numbers just didn't work. In in your scenario whereby, uh, you know, what we might call a cobbled together coalition, mm. you mentioned Fianna Fáil. Do you see a prospect, any prospect of Fianna Gael having more seats than Fianna Fáil in the election? I think it's highly unlikely. I, I, highly unlikely for, for several reasons. One... They're losing. They're up to ten seats down before they even get going. Retirements, Retirements defections, deselections, yeah. de- defections. That's an awful lot of ground to make up before you've even started in terms of looking at gains. Uh, and when the wind is against you, and it seems to be, you know, there are nine years in government. It's very, very hard to get any gains anywhere. They're strongest in Dublin, but I find me a constituency that Fine Gael can identifiably win again. It's very hard to do so. They're not pulling in a second seat in Dublin Central. They're not pulling a second seat in... Like, they're going to struggle. Like, there's, there's talk they could even struggle out in Fingal. Like, you know what I mean? That, that, um, Who's out in Fingal? James no. Riley and Alan Farrell. Like. And there's a question mark over whether or not could James Riley take out Alan Farrell and be the sole Fine Gael right there. So there's, but there's definitely not two seats out there where they would have had two seats before. So you're, they're definitely going to lose at least one seat in Dunleary because Maria Bailey's gone and Sean Barrett is retiring. Um, they have three currently. Yes, so, but there's no, there's no way they're coming back with three, based on the current numbers. So you're at least losing one, possibly two, and if they don't win a second seat in Dunleary, it's sort of one of these bellwether constituencies. Yeah. If they're not winning two in Dunleary, they just cannot be ahead of Fianna Fáil. Yeah, I suppose as they say, it's we're what they ten we're about halfway through it. Yeah. Uh, the the mantra you keep hearing, and you wonder whether people just say it for the for the sake of increasing any kind of drama or injecting any kind of drama into it, that campaigns do matter. But I suppose, to be fair, it'll be interesting to see over the next 10 days how much they do matter. What was very interesting in both polls was the high number of undecideds. Uh, there was 20% in the Irish Times poll. It was, I think it was slightly higher in the Sunday Times poll. So there is a block of people who have yet to make up their mind. 
uh, and they are the sort of that, that's the ten percent or twenty percent of people who will determine who's in government next time around, which way they they come down on the line. And there's a story there during the week that in Dublin City Council there was a huge surge in registration. Now, it wasn't. I haven't seen anywhere that it was to the same extent in mm. other local authorities. But if one assumes to some level there's an increase in registration. I think it would be reasonable to assume that a huge chunk of that increase would be towards younger mm. voters. I'd be interested to see where that It will be, and the, let, let's not forget, it's the first time uh, since the, the foundation of the state that it's the Saturday election. So what you've often found in uh, elections gone by is that students tend not to vote, or the young people tend not to get it, because they've either been disenfranchised or they just can't get home because of college or whatever like that. No such excuses you know, exist this time around. You've obviously seen a groundswell of young people and activism since the you know marriage equality, the abortion referendum, and then also the climate change um, kind of agenda. So that'll be interesting to see what sort of disruption that has on 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 the campaign. It'll be very interesting to see what impact it has on Sinn Féin's vote in particular because they tend to poll very strongly amongst young people but those people tend not to come out or traditionally have not come out on polling day. If Sinn Féin can get that 21% vote out, they will certainly have more seats than most people are giving them credit for at the moment. So it'll be very interesting to watch that one. It will indeed. Um, Danny McConnell, Danny, thank you very much for coming thank in you. and particularly coming in today. Um, we're very appreciative of that. It's all to play for, as they say, as the old cliche goes, we're just heading into the second half, but I think things are bound to hot up from here on in and we'll be keeping an eye on it here on the podcast. That's it for today, folks. I'd like to thank JJ Vernon on Sound. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify and the other platforms. You can let me know what you think at mick.clifford.examiner.ie or on the Twitter machine at at MickCliff. See you again soon. On Formative, middle school kids from New York City public schools interview a phenomenal collection of grown-ups. Me, like, I don't know what I want to do. You don't have to have all the answers. I feel like a lot of people's favorite topics are, like, interest in their life. That is a really good answer. The podcast where the leaders of today are interviewed by leaders of tomorrow. Listen now at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.